let's see if I remember how to do this. It was good to take a month off to just simply spend some time resting. Um, there, there was a point uh, really in my own heart where um, I was just tired. There's, 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 there's kind of a deep tiredness that, that comes, I think, to us at times. Uh, it's not so much just a physical reality. It's just something within you, and, and uh, I was getting close to that. So uh, it, was, it was a time of just basically rest and renewal, and so I, I am grateful uh, for a church that, that allowed me to have that time off. And uh, I'm very thankful for uh, having four different guys uh, that could step up to the pulpit and fill in. Very grateful for that as well. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible to and turn with me to Matthew, Book of Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. This morning we're going to... Uh, Look at the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25. It begins in verse 14 and extends to verse 30. And in honor of God's word, I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we read the passage together. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be the kingdom... For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them and made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two talents more. But he had received the one talent, went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. And also, the one who had two talents, he came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents, here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, same thing, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have now what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have least received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories, these, these ancient stories with relevant truths. And I pray, Father, that you would, the power of the Holy Spirit, take the word of God and proclaim the Son of God for your glory. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to, to gather together as a, as a believing people, as a church, to study your word. Uh, what an incredible privilege this is. Help us to see it as such. Help us to take full advantage of the opportunity that's sitting right here, right now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're beginning a new sermon series called Character Matters. Character Matters. And in this uh, series, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about godly character. And we're going to look at it through the lens of... Uh, specific virtues, and I, and I believe these virtues uh, basically have gone missing from the church in these last days. So we're going to look at, uh, we're going to blow the dust off of some of these virtues. We're going to look at things like faithfulness and courage, humility, the, the fear of the Lord, and fortitude. And we're going to place them back at the place of prominence among the people of God. Well, we, we can't, I don't think any of us can deny that uh, the church in America has lost credibility, has lost authority. Uh, basically, we've lost our identity. And I believe a huge part of that is due to the fact that many Christians have been poor ambassadors, representatives of Christ we have a character crisis in the church today. And that character crisis has literally caused thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of young people to walk away from the church. Saints of old were known for being men and women of outstanding moral character. And the question is, where has that gone? Why is that no longer emphasized? And how do we recover it? So we begin our series on character matters uh, with the virtue of faithfulness. Faithfulness. We're going to look, like I said, at various virtues each and every Sunday. And uh, I call these character matters. Each of these virtues are because character matters. Character matters because character matters. See what I did there? So, today we look at faithfulness. Faithfulness. Are you a faithful follower of Jesus? Are you a faithful, a faithful follower of Jesus? Well, to answer that, we must first ask the question, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to be faithful according to the Bible? Well, we can start by looking at God's faithfulness to us. He is the ultimate example. Let's consider just a, a sampling of what the Bible has to say about God's faithfulness. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, 
We read, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 36, 5. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. That's a, it's amazing when you begin to see how far and wide the skies actually represent. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, which I don't have on here because I added it late, but it's just so great. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And so faithfulness means to be true to your word. To be true to your word. God is always true to his word. He never says one thing and then does something else. He's perfectly, perfectly dependable and reliable. And so for you and me to cultivate the virtue of faithfulness ourselves, it means that we must cultivate, we must become people who are true to our word. There, there will be a consistency in what we say and what we do between what we believe and how we behave, between what we promise and how we perform. Everything goes hand in hand. So when the Bible describes someone, someone as faithful, it is not referring to how much faith a person has, but how much faith others can put into that person. That's faithfulness. How much can other people trust him or her to perform what they promise? Well, faithfulness is adorned with words like being trustworthy, loyal, reliable, dependable, and enduring. The faithful person is someone you can consistently count on. They're just, they're, just, they're just there. You just know that they're going to come through. One, uh, thing, one, one thinks of the, the geyser in Yellowstone National Park that erupts with such predictable consistency that they named it what? It's Old Faithful. Faith, it's just faithful. You know that thing's going to go off. If you take a vacation trip, you're not going to go across country and the thing's going to let you down. It's, you're going to see it because it's faithful. That is faithfulness as it relates to our, our fellow man. The second meaning associated with the virtue of faithfulness in the Bible relates to our relationship with God. We have to be faithful among our fellow men, but we have to be faithful as well with God. And now we understand that the Bible talks a lot about, you know, how we must trust God. Uh, my goodness, we've, we've talked about the, the uh, gospel 
And we know full well that, that our, our gospel, the things that we believe, the good news, is that we are saved by faith alone. Not by ourselves, not by works, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness is not the same thing. We should not get them confused. Faithfulness is what comes from faith. It is, it is the result of faith. We could say that faith is the root and, and faithfulness the fruit of our salvation. So faithfulness means that we, we trust God and we obey God. We obey Him no matter what impact obeying him has on our safety our standard of living we obey now in our, our day and age words like deconversion and deconstruction describe what the bible says as a person who has shipwrecked their faith we, we use fancy words to describe something the bible says well you've just basically run your faith to ground into the rocks. And it has become trendy in our culture today and in the church today to deconvert or to deconstruct one's faith. It has become trendy in America to apostatize. That is alarming. And it happens because as soon as it starts to become unpopular or uncomfortable to follow Jesus, which it has in our culture, is increasingly becoming more and more a reality, uh, false believers at this point are seen for what they are and they begin to bail. And so faithfulness is becoming a lost virtue among many today. I mean, we bell at the drop of a hat. We live in a cancel culture. Well, somebody doesn't talk to us at church, so we're going to go join another one. And on and on it goes. Faithfulness is a lost virtue in the church today. But that's not a new thing. Proverbs 26 says, Many claim to have an unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Well, that's been true. For thousands of years. People say, oh, I love the Lord. Oh, I love God's people. Oh, I love the church. But when it really comes down to the nitty-gritty, when things get hard and difficult and stress enters the picture, then where can that same person be found? Faithfulness. Faithfulness is hard to find. And so faithfulness is a virtue we need to recapture. We must intentionally cultivate a virtue of faithfulness. And the good news is this. We're not on our own. We don't have to just kind of go, okay, give me the plan. G give, me, give me the, the list of things I've got to do. Well, the, the good news is, is that faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. The ninefold fruit of the Spirit includes faithfulness. So faithfulness is at work in us, but we must work it out in our lives as well. So we need to work out what the Spirit is working in. 
Check out this psalm. Psalm 37.3 says this. This is becoming like, a, I think, like my second half, or second half, uh, that's being generous, maybe my last third uh, life verse right here. Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. Man, I love that. I love that because, I, I love it because even more in the Hebrew text it says something also or else. In the Hebrew, the Hebrew wording literally says to, to graze on faithfulness. To feed on faithfulness. Right? David's a shepherd, so he uses shepherd words. And so it's this idea of, of a, the sheep trusting in the Lord, trusting in his shepherd, uh, dwelling in the land, and grazing on faithfulness. Isn't that an awesome picture? Grazing on faithfulness. So the idea of that, uh, to graze or feed on faithfulness, is to devote ourselves to, to developing faithfulness until it becomes a part of us. And so let's do some grazing this morning on faithfulness. Let's look at what Jesus taught about uh, what it means to, to graze on faithfulness what that looks like, and we're going to do it by looking at this parable, parable of the talents that we read in uh, Matthew chapter 25. So Jesus' parable here is a story uh, that is about the church age. It's about the time that exists between the first and second comings of Christ. This, of course, is the time that we are now living in. Can you think of something more relevant than a parable told by Jesus about our time? That's what we find here. So Jesus, in this story, he cast himself as the master. Jesus is going to play the part of the master in the story. And he goes on a journey, right, because we know that he ascended after his resurrection. He goes on a journey and he has entrusted his property, his business, to his servants. That's where we come into the story. That's you and me, the servants, the church. Now the master entrusts, I love that word, it entrusts his servants with his own wealth. Servants did not earn it. They are simply called to be stewards of it. And so he gives one servant five talents and another two and a third one. It says according to their ability. Now, a talent is a, is a monetary measurement. It is a, is a dollar amount. Right? The value of one talent in Jesus' day was equal to 20 years of hard-earned wages. One, one talent, 20 years of wages. So imagine you've worked and saved up for 20 years, and you're going to take that sum, and you're going to go on vacation, maybe for a month, I don't know, and you give that to your servant. Uh, that's kind of, uh, 
kind of risky. And if you combine the amount entrusted to the servants, it is 160 years worth of hard-earned wages. So this speaks of the value of what Jesus has entrusted to you and me, his servants. So what is that? What does this, this talent represent? What has he trusted us with? Well, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, we read this. We have been approved to God to be entrusted, same word, with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Another place, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, We have this treasure in, in jars of clay, uh, the, the treasure being the gospel in its context, to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're the jar of clay, the gospel is the treasure. So we have this treasure, we're responsible to be good stewards of the treasure. The treasure is uh, the gospel and everything that goes with it, everything associated with it. Meaning that we have been entrusted with the word of God. We have been entrusted with the spirit of God. We've been entrusted with the church of God. We've been entrusted with the message of God. We've been entrusted with the mission of God. He's entrusted us with these priceless treasures. And he is gone. And when he returns, and Christ is going to return, he is going to call us to account. And the question at that time is, will we be found faithful? Will we be found faithful? 1 Corinthians 4.2 says it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So when the master returns, he gathers his servants together and he, he begins to see how they did while he was gone. The one with five steps forward, uh, he's given the one with five 100 years worth of wages, Right? And he discovers that the one with five has, has actually doubled what he was given. And so his master says to him in verse 21, this, everything hinges on this. Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, to the guy who has the two talents, that's, that's 20 years of wages, he repeats the same story. I had two, I have doubled it. Here's four. And he receives from his master the exact same commendation. Well done, my good and faithful Faithful servant, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, let's consider what Jesus' response to both of these servants tell us about faithfulness. I want to draw out from Jesus' response some principles on what faithfulness looks like so that we also can be found faithful when the day of our accounting comes. Four things 
that I want you to see. And the first thing is this, is that faithfulness is rejoicing obedience. Faithfulness is rejoicing obedience. When the master commissions his servants in a parable, you'll notice there's, there's not an invitation given here. There's, there's no RSVP associated with this. It's nothing they can say, oh, I appreciate it, but no thanks. That's not on offer here. There is no indication that they're given an option to decline the command. They're servants after all, right? And, and, and so servants, to a servant, obedience is not negotiable. And that's true of all the commandments of Jesus. The commandments of Jesus are simply that. They're commandments. They're not suggestions. For example, consider the Great Commission. Jesus never says, there's an option. Here's something, guys, I would kind of like y'all to think about. No, he says, go. Go. Go make disciples. There's no room for, there's no wiggle room for disobedience. And yet, at the same time, the master's command to his servants is not a drudgery. Right? They're not being drugged, kicking and screaming into this, this service. In fact, they have been given an opportunity of a lifetime. They're servants. And even though they're servants, the master is treating them like they're business partners. It's amazing. They were being included in a story and an opportunity that was so much bigger than anything they could have written for themselves. Their master was entrusting them to have a part in his kingdom. His kingdom. To play a, a role in his story. Thus their obedience was not seen as, as a drudgery that they had to just grit their teeth and, and get through. No, their obedience was a glad obedience. It was a rejoicing obedience if you think of, of your life in terms of a story we we all have a story we're all living out a story sit down with anybody and uh, they will given enough time tell you a story that is their life and so the question that each of us has is this how will i approach my story how will i approach the story that is my my life. Now, there are basically two directions that we can go here. First of all, I, I can see myself as the author of my story, and, and I can dream up uh, the best plot, the best action and ending of that story I can for myself. Or, or I, I can see myself as a character in a story that is so much bigger than I am. And I can align my dreams 
with the plot that is bigger and more glorious than me. Now, that's basically the two options all of us have. Uh, I, I, uh, you see this, this picture here? Anybody recognize it? That background, you're going, yeah, I recognize it. That is a, that is a blue picture with a smudge in the middle. Well, you, you see the dot there in the middle? That's us. That's us. That's planet Earth. That dot was taken from the, the Voyager 1 uh, some uh, 4 billion miles from here. That's the longest selfie stick ever. And, and, and so there, that's us. That's us. 4 billion miles from here. Now, what's incredible to think about is that 4 billion miles, you would have to multiply that times 15 to, to even get to one light year and to span the distance in our Milky Way takes around 100,000 of those. In other words, we are infinitesimally small. And the reality of that is we are, we, I mean, we're, that's us, right? That's, that, that's, this picture is called the pale blue dot. That's us. And so we're going to write our story. We're, we're going to write our, our big story in history on that and then think it's a big deal. Yeah, you, you put it, it really puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? Think about all the problems. Think about all the people that we think, man, there's a big dog. There's a big wig. There's an important person. Really? So we can live our entire lives, our brief moment, our vapor existence on that dot, living for ourselves and trying to write our own identities or in our own stories, or we can participate and join in the story of the God who with a word created it all. Seems like a no-brainer to me. So th th that's the reality. The world tells us every day, every single day, write your own story. Define yourself. Make an identity for yourself. You know, if that's true, I think that's the worst possible news that you can hear. Worst possible. Because now my one tiny brief story is, is all I get. That's all that's going to be me. And everything depends on me doing the best I can to dream up and achieve worthy goals for myself on that tiny blue dot. But God, and he offers us a better story. He's the master going, hey, I know you guys are just servants. You want to get in on something great? You want to get in on my kingdom? He tells us that we are a character. We're not the author. We're the character of this huge story that leads to our own uh, existence for, forever in God's glory versus our own tiny vapor of a story. I love this, this psalm. Psalm 8410 says this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. 
Here's what's fascinating about that is the guy who wrote it was David. And David was King David. He's the king, right? And, And the king says, you know what's better than being a king in this world? A doorkeeper in heaven. It is so much grander and glorious. I would rather be open doors in heaven than be king of my own kingdom on this earth. What a privilege. What a privilege. You know why I said that? Because the doorkeeper is close to the Lord. Will there be any more joyous moment than hearing Jesus say, well done, well done my good and faithful servant. We are invited into that. Don't you think that this is a joyful obedience? A rejoicing obedience. Second, second thing I want you to see is that faithfulness is a a resolute obedience. It's a resolute obedience. The master says, in his, accommod- his accommodation, he says, you have been faithful over a little. You've been faithful over a little. In God's eyes, there, there are no little people. There is no such thing as little obedience. There are no forgotten places. And there is no act of service that goes unseen and unnoticed. You know, sometimes to, to grow the fruit of faithfulness in his people, God may send us for, for, for a time to forgotten places. Forgotten places. Forgotten places are those corners of the world where it seems that no one's watching. Where all our efforts go unseen, unappreciated, unvalued. Perhaps your work is among diapers and dishes. Perhaps your work is among cubicles and emails. Or or more painfully, maybe you're in in a difficult mission field. Maybe you are surrounded with rebellious children. Maybe you're in a house with a spouse whose love has grown cold. Maybe you're caring for a parent who has forgotten your name. All of us live in forgotten places sometimes. Some of us live there all the time. Oswald Chamber, uh, speaking along these terms, said this. He said, we do not need uh, the grace of God to stand crises. Human nature and pride are sufficient. We can face the strain magnificently. But it does require the supernatural grace of God to live 24 hours and every day as a saint, to go through drudgery as a disciple, to live an ordinary, unobserved, ignored existence as a disciple of Jesus. That takes grace. The devil would have us to believe that we are forgotten. The devil would have us believe that our small acts of obedience uh, is meaningless that it's unimportant, that we are insignificant. He would have us to believe that we are not pleasing to God because we're not doing enough. We should be doing something bigger, something better. The temptation 
then becomes to lose our resolve. To lose our resolve to remain faithful in the small things. But man, it's the small things that matter because the small things end up becoming big things when accumulated. I was reading uh, a biography uh, about the great missionary David Livingston, uh, and he, tell, he tells in this, this biography, uh, is told of, of a time when he was, was serving in Africa, and uh, he, wanted to, he wanted to help uh, the people in Africa produce healthier crops. And he notices that even though there's a river close by, that these farmers are having to go to the river uh, constantly and, and carry water by hand to try to water uh, their crops. That's exhausting work, and you know, you're just doing a, a little at a time. And so he decided to help them big, uh, dig a canal to their fields. The only tools that he had available to him was a hoe, uh, that had no handle. He had some sharpened sticks. Maybe it was the hoe handle. He had uh, two bowls. And he had a tortoise shell. That's all he had. And yet he goes to work. And he starts scooping. And he starts breaking up ground with the stick. And he starts taking bowls and tortoise shells full of dirt out and slowly, slowly starts digging this canal. When he was finished, and he finished, he had dug a canal 400 feet long that was three feet wide and four feet deep. And now the water went from the river out to where these farmers could access it for the sake of their fields. And not only was it able to increase the crop for the people, but now it also gave ear to Livingston's message of Jesus being the river of life. That canal was dug one handful at a time. What if he would have said, what if he would have taken his bowl of dirt and said, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm out here by myself, nobody's noticing this. This is a, this is a useless job. He threw his bowl down and walked away. Little things add up. Little things add up. It's an old but true statement that we are to bloom where we are planted. No matter where we find ourselves, we got to remember we are not where we are. We are not in a forgotten place by accident. Whatever situation we are in, we are not there by accident. We are there by the providence of God. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it like this. Leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. The master gave each of his servants a specific number of talents as he saw fit. Neither was more deserving than the other. It was simply based on his, his sovereignty, what he determined, what he saw, and the potential of each one of these servants of his. 
and they don't appear at any point, they don't appear to be, be jealous over one another's talent amounts. It doesn't appear that they're going, what are you talking about? Why are you giving me two and, and that dude got five? Because they didn't earn any of them to begin with. Right? Their servants were crying out loud. But besides that, uh, they're, they're not building with what they've been given. They're not there to build their own little income or their own little empire. Right? This is not a competition. They're on the same team with the same goal, and that's to glorify the master and increase his business. I think um, you may feel, some of us feel, that uh, you're in a forgotten place right now, but you can also say with confidence, it is my Father's hand that has led me here. And that being the case, then you are not forgotten. It also means that your job is to be found faithful in the place and circumstances that his heavenly hand has brought you to. God expects each servant to be faithful stewards of what they had received. Right? God not only sends us to forgotten places, but he meets us there. When our, our labor is done in obscurity. He is near. When your work escapes the notice of every human eye, it does not escape his. He, he catches every whispered prayer. He, he captures every inward groan. He keeps every tear in a bottle. He keeps record of the smallest task done in faith. And the smallest, act, the smallest act of faithfulness brings glory to God. Proverbs 12, 22, I love this. Lion lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. They're his delight. And you want to, God delights in faithfulness. You want to bring delight to God, just be faithful. It's not the greatness of the work but the faithfulness of the worker that delights him. Mission, missionary Hudson Taylor used to say, a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in little things is a great thing. Cooking a meal, changing a diaper, filling out a spreadsheet, checking on a widow, cleaning the church bathrooms, little things, little things. But when done for the sake of Christ, they become huge things in God's grand story. Huge things. Stay resolute, steadfast. Your work matters to God. Charles Spurgeon said, you're as much serving God in looking after your own children and training them up in God's fear and minding the house and making your household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. Thirdly, faithfulness is risky obedience. Risky obedience. Two out of the three of the faithful servants in Jesus' story double what they're given, right? So the one who had five talents 
he finishes with ten, the one with two, four. The master apparently wanted faithfulness as well as fruitfulness. But nowhere in the story are we told how they did it. Our first assumption is that, well, they invested it. Because we're, we're, you know, 21st century Americans. That's what we would think, right? But there's no stock market here yet. Perhaps they went to the horse track. Got lucky. Doesn't say. But I think what is uh, much more likely is they learned from the master and they continued in his business practices and, and ways. Right? These people had an entrepreneurial spirit. They took huge risks. They said, man, it takes money to make money. Who knows what happened? Perhaps they took their master's money and they bought a fishing boat. And then they hired a few fishermen and they started a fishing business. And the fishing business began to grow and they, they made enough money to cover the expense of the boat. And so they bought another boat. And then they begin to hire some workers, and then they bought a third boat. And the next thing you know, they have doubled what they started with. We don't know that, right? But one thing I do know is we ought to get these guys on Shark Tank, right? Because they're, they're, they're busting it. They're doubling what they started with. So we're left to imagine how they did what they did. And I think that's on purpose. Because I believe that Jesus wants us to be creative with how much work and thinking we go and put into our, our gospel, our mission. There are, no, there are no formulas here. There are no how-tos. There is just a message that, that faithfulness involves taking big risks. And, and personally, I feel like the master would have been pleased with a 10% increase as long as they showed this, this gutsy faith. In contrast, consider the third guy. Third guy, he's standing there with his hands in his pockets. He's looking kind of sheepish. He played it safe. Played it safe. He, he literally buried his master's talent. I chuckle at that because back in chapter 13, Jesus tells another parable where this guy finds a treasure buried in a field. And I think to myself, wouldn't it be funny if the, the treasure that he found in the field was this guy's talent that he buried? You know, maybe he found that. The question is why? Why would he bury it? Well, he tells us why. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. I was afraid. Here's the, uh, a formula that, that basically I think represents this. He saw that his master, uh, can you put that up, Tom? There it is. That, that fear, when your fear is greater than your faithfulness, then, then you're going to have the result of failure. The opposite is also the case. That when your faithfulness is greater than your fear, it doesn't mean you don't have any. It just means your faithfulness overrides it. It's, it's 
greater than your fear, then you produce fruit. I think is what we see here in this, this passage. So when we see Jesus through the lens of his, his, his steadfast love and his grace, everything changes because at the heart of this, the problem with the servant is not only that he feared, but that that fear was caused by the way he perceived his master. The way he saw the master. Everything hinged on that. And how many of us, you know, it's like the gospel. We, we believe this, this, yeah, God's full of grace, full of, full of love. But then when it comes to taking these mighty risks, we're going, oh, I'm not going to do that. Fearful. I, I, I listened to his excuse, and I'm just stunned by it because he says, Man, I, I knew you were a hard man. You, you reap where you did not sow, and you gathered where you scattered no seed. And I listen to that, and I go, isn't that the definition of grace? That sounds like a definition of grace. It's like, uh, I understand you're, you're a man of grace. I'm terrified of you. This man described his master in terms of grace, and yet he sees him as someone who's hard to please. That makes no sense. I think some of us are the same way. We've heard this message of the gospel over and over and over, and yet still something in us sees God as one we can never please. And we think, oh, i got to do more, i got to do more. Or, i got to play it safe. How many times... How many times have we let fear get in the way of taking risks for a God who, if you understand God in terms of grace, then we can go for it, right? We're not afraid of failure anymore. How many times, though, do we, do we fail to take big risks for God because of fear? For me, it's too many times to count. How many times have, have you buried the gospel on the ground instead of taking the risk of sharing it with someone? How many times have you not spoken the truth because you feared what someone would think about you instead of being concerned with what they think about Christ? How many times have you not acted towards injustice because you were afraid that being involved would somehow rob you of your comfortable life? How many times have, have we refused to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and share our own struggles and questions with one another because we are afraid we would appear as those who are unpleasing? How much fruit could we have produced if we took a chance on God's grace and his faithfulness to us? Faithfulness is risky obedience. Lastly, faithfulness is rewarded obedience. It's rewarded obedience. I love this. You've been faithful over little. I have set you over much Enter into the joy of your master. I love this. Right? God's promotion is determined 
by faithfulness in the little things, right? You got to be careful. I'm always concerned about, you know, people who want to win the world for Jesus and yet aren't willing to win their neighbor for Jesus. And we want to do the big stuff. But we'll never do the big stuff until we're willing to do the little stuff. And so he says, man, you've been faithful over little. Now, now, because you've shown yourself trustworthy, now I'm going to give you something bigger. Now I'm going to give you something bigger. I'm going to give you a promotion. Faithfulness increases our influence. Right? How do we stop the church from bleeding in this day and age? We can start by being faithful to God. It's really simple. Be, we can be found trustworthy servants of the king. You want to change the world? right? You want to have a key role in God's epic story? Just be faithful in the little things. Be consistent. Be reliable. Be trustworthy. Be a man or woman of godly character. Don't worry about your big impact. Just be faithful. And then watch what God does with that. How much better off would we be if the people of God had just focused on faithfulness to God instead of being angry at the world? God rewards faithfulness. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus says, Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Given a cup of cold water, that's a little thing, isn't it? That's a little thing. And, and, you know, that can be quite literal. My wife, we, you know, she, she has her, her business, runs it out of the house, so we're always shipping stuff, always shipping. And so that, that poor Mel uh, lady, we got a Mel lady who comes to the house, and right now it's like 107 degrees when she comes around. And every day, you know, it's like, oh, the mail lady's here, mail lady's here, take these packages, meet her at the mailbox, and then she runs to the fridge, and she grabs a bottle of cold water and says, give her this. And so I'm out there with these packages, you know, and here's, here's this, 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 and here's this. And every time she's like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Just downs it. A little thing. A little thing. Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. God rewards faithfulness. And, and while it's true that we sometimes experience these, these promotions for these little deeds in this lifetime, uh, for, for, for most of us, and, and what the passage teaches us, is that most of what we will receive comes to us in the next life. Because after all, the story here is told in the fact that the master has already come home, right? He's already back. So this is speaking of heavenly rewards. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown, a reward that will last forever. The Bible tells us that in eternity that the saints will rule with Christ. My little bitty servant, living on that tiny little speck, why don't you come and reign 
everything with me. We saw that theme all the way through Hebrews. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Endure hardship. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. To quote David Livingston again, he was talking to a group of seminary students at the end of his life mission work. And he said this, he says, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice that I have made spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view, with such a thought. It's emphatically not a sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and the charities of this life. They may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this be for just a moment, because all these are nothing when compared with the glory that we shall be revealed in us and for us and to us. I never made a sacrifice. God's promise to reward all of us through these acts of risky faith, he will reward all the little, persistent, consistent, unnoticed things we do in his name. He will reward all the times he wanted to quit, but we persevered. And it's going to be so worth it. It's going to be so worth it when we hear the Father say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Come and reign with me. Peasants and pastors. Moms and missionaries. Delivery drivers and deacons. You are all servants of the Most High God. All of you are an equal value in my kingdom. Well done. Well done. You have been crowned in my kingdom. No longer do I call you servants, but you're my friends. In fact, you're kings and queens. Come share in my unquenchable, never-ending joy. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for uh, the, the truth of of this story which teaches us, Lord, that nothing that we do in your name is meaningless. Nothing we do goes unnoticed. Nothing we do. Father, it's all for your name. It's all for your glory. And you have invited us as simple, simple servants to join in this kingdom of yours. What a privilege, what a joy, what an opportunity. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name, help us to be found faithful. Help us to be found faithful. Father, help us not to live in fear. Help fear not overrule our faithfulness. But Father, help our faithfulness overrule our fear. And I ask, Lord, that you just 
give us that. Holy Spirit, give us that. Fill us with that. May we be found faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we have a time of invitation this morning, opportunity to respond. You can respond. I'll be down here in front if I can pray with you. Uh, you can pray where you're at. But, but this is just a great opportunity for you to go uh, to the Lord and, uh, and just plead for his help and being faithful, uh, confess unfaithfulness uh, to him because he is just and forgive us, to forgive us of unfaithfulness. Uh, the Bible says that even when we're unfaithful, that he is faithful. And so uh, we can confess that to him. If you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come and receive him today. Whatever decision uh, that you have, bring it, bring it to him. Bring it to him.